Thanks, Wilson, and thank you. Good morning. Hey, it's March Madness basketball time. Any basketball fans out there? Oh, yeah, one or two. I do have to admit I'm a little sad today. My beloved Kentucky Wildcats lost yesterday. (laughs) However, I am happy because I'm also an Iowa fan, and there happens to be three Iowa teams in Iowa, Iowa State, Northern Iowa, so I'm still rocking it. All right? Well, in addition to watching a little basketball this week, I was doing some reading to prepare for this message and came across an article that has somewhat of a unique title, but some really good points. The title is Generalship, 10 Traits of General Officers that Every Leader Needs. The article comes from a retired Army Reserve General, Michael Douglas. And in the article, he's describing that successful generals, as well as successful leaders in every sector of life, have certain character traits, skill sets that help them accomplish the mission that they're assigned to. And I'm going to share five of those traits from the, the article. The first one is that good generals are decisive. They make decisions and make them at the right time. Good generals are courageous. They exercise a physical and moral courage that as they step into very difficult situations is that they encourage and inspire other people to courage along with them. A good general is a team builder. Coalitions and disparate parts, in other words, small groups of people or cliques or people that are just working individually are able to are be able to, brought to be brought together to be able to serve together, function together, and accomplish a goal. Integrity. There is no room for questionable character in generals or in leaders. A good general or leader is a change agent. They recognize who or what needs to be changed and then commit to making the required changes. Generals and good leaders have a certain skill set, a certain character trait that makes him or her really effective. And today we're going to be looking at a general, a warrior king that launched a battle unlike any other battle, any other war that's ever been fought. For this war changes the course of humanity. It changes the course of creation. Today we are looking at the warrior king, Jesus. Jesus is a warrior king. Now, as I say that, some of us may be shocked to think, well, isn't Jesus kind and compassionate and peaceful? And he is, but he's also a determined, courageous change agent who wages war against the powers of darkness that influence every area of life. So I invite you today to put on new glasses, to look at Jesus through some different lens, to see him as a warrior king as we go through the Bible Uh, passages today. But before we jump in, let's pray together. Lord, we just open our hearts to receive from you today. Just show us a different view of you, a view that just encourages our hearts, that sets us free to walk more and more in the power of your love. Just thank you for being here. Amen. So when we look at the life of Jesus And the encounters that he has with with individuals, we see him extending kindness and compassion 
extending forgiveness. But there are other times as we read in the Bible that Jesus will walk up to someone and just seem irritated or harsh or angry. And when we see him in those conversations, often with religious leaders or even within his own disciples, when they're challenging something he's saying or not following through, in those moments when Jesus is irritated or harsh, he is engaging in battle. You see, at that moment in time, he is encountering the powers that are behind those people, the mindset and the beliefs that are energized by the demonic realm. In January, I did a message that really focused on God at war. And just briefly to review parts of that message that will help us today, is that biblical scholars from various church backgrounds agree that angels who rebelled against God mounted an opposition against God and against humanity, that their involvement affected the entire atmosphere, the air we breathe. It affects society at large. It affects the atmosphere. And in the Bible, we read about the air or the heavenlies, which is really the air that surrounds us. These rebellious angels, known to us as the devil and demons, influence and energize the social structures of society. Social structures of society, in essence, are good because they're meant to hold us together, to be like glue that prevents total chaos from breaking out. These society structures are called powers. And good powers or social structures can be morality, education, government, community involvement, the care of creation, and religion. But when fallen angels start messing with these structures or powers, things go really weird. The devil and demons not only infiltrate society, but they impact us. And the way that they show up Doing battle against us is through irritation, infection, and infestation. Well, what do I mean by that? First, they're irritating us. Just through irritation is that demons will observe our behavior. They will watch the things that we do. They will listen to the things we say about ourselves. And one of the biggest lies that they try to feed us is that we know everything that you think. They don't know everything we think. They are not all-knowing. But they're excellent students of human behavior. In other words, if I'm acting really angry and feeling very angry, and I continuously push that out there, they're going to use that. If I'm walking around and say, "Ah, I can't do anything right, they're going to hear that and observe that and really try to push that against us and say, you really aren't worthy. They'll accuse us of not being worthy of love. They will use our own self-condemnation against us. Another way demons affect us is through infection. Demons observe the choices we make and how we treat people. They can see how the choices we make will either lead us toward God or away from God. And an example of this is say that I'm hurt. Someone does something to me that inflicts an emotional wound... I face a choice in that moment. The choice I can make is that I can be honest about, wow, that really hurt. And I can wrestle with that hurt and say, God, come and heal this. 
I lean into you and I choose to forgive that person even though I don't feel like forgiving that person. You see, in that moment of time as I'm moving toward God, I'm moving in a place of safety. But let's say that I, that I have that hurt and I just want to hang on to the self-pity. I can't believe that happened to me. Or I start nursing that grudge. And what can happen at that moment, the demons will look at that behavior. They will watch that emotion and they will begin to just feed us the poison of bitterness and unforgiveness. Cooperating with what we've already given them. Next is infestation. Demons can infest parts of the human personality and body through openings that we give them through choices that we make as we move away from God or through the traumatic choices and actions of others against us. And so this whole demonic realm was not foreign to biblical writers. They understood that God not only wanted to have relationship with us, but that God is at war against the demonic forces that oppose him and oppose us. It was not uncommon for them to just view through the lens of all their writing that God is at move, warring against the devil. The writer Isaiah receives a preview of God of a coming warrior king. In Isaiah chapter 50, verses 5 through 9, Isaiah shows us a warrior that is responsive to commands, courageous, determined, and confident. Let's read together uh, Isaiah 50, verses 5 through 9. It'll come up on the screen. You can follow along. If you have your Bible, feel free to turn to Isaiah 50. The sovereign Lord has spoken to me, and I have listened. I have not rebelled or turned away. I offered my back to those who beat me and my cheeks to those who pulled out my beard. I did not hide my face from mockery and spitting. Because the sovereign Lord helps me, I will not be disgraced. Therefore, I have set my face like a stone, determined to do his will. And I know I will not be put to shame. He who gives me justice is near. Who will dare to bring charges against me now? Where are my accusers? Let them appear. See, the sovereign Lord is on my side. Who will declare me guilty? All my enemies will be destroyed like old clothes that have been eaten by moths. So this warrior that Isaiah is seeing is Jesus. And Isaiah saw this preview of Jesus hundreds and hundreds of years before Jesus walked on earth. Notice the traits of Jesus. He is responsive to commands. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit... Words for sovereign Lord is the supreme ruler over the nations, over the powers, over the angels. This God created humanity and he longs to have a close relationship with us. But because of choices we have made and just the rebellion of ourselves and of the devil and a legion of demons, which is an army of demons, God is at war and God is going to take back what rightfully belongs to him. God wants to restore purpose to us for which we were created. God longs for us to come and delight in him. 
But we live in a world that is infiltrated and occupied by devils and demons holding us captive. So when God in conversation with himself says, I will go to earth and free them. I will wage war like no one else. Because I will use the power of love to serve humankind. To free them from the sin and the sickness that holds them back. And any other bondage that's just keeping them tied up. I will fulfill my purposes on earth, says God. The devil is no longer in charge. I'm taking back what's mine. And on my command, I'm going to go forth and make it happen. Now stay with me on this one. This is God himself walking out his own command. The God of the universe is waging war. And he's issued his own command. Wow. Does that to my mind. How about you? Notice that this warrior king, Jesus, is courageous. He willingly experienced the beatings. People mocking him, being spat upon. But it's all part of the battle plan. He is determined. He sets his face like a stone. He's highly focused. That expression in the Bible is he's highly focused, determined, and concentrated to fulfill his mission. Nothing is going to stop Jesus from accomplishing his mission of destroying the works of the devil. He is confident. And verses 8 and 9 point this out. God the Father, God the Holy Spirit, right there beside Jesus as he defeats the demonic realm and tears away the lies that men under the influence of the powers are speaking against him. Around Easter time, we we look at the Bible verses about Jesus' death and people speaking lies about him and, and hateful things about him. But Jesus defeats those. He tears them down. Did you notice in verses 8 and 9 of Isaiah 50, there's, Jesus is asking this question, and the person's asking the question, where are my accusers? In other verses in the Bible, the devil or Satan is called an accuser. And part of the job that the devil or Satan took on is to accuse us before God. Oh, she's always so fearful. She'll, she'll never step out and take a risk. Ah, oh, Dave's voice, it's just so soft. He's not going to have an impact, so. Oh, you, you're so stupid. See, that's what Satan likes to do and say and accuse us. But stay with me. When Jesus was on earth, he was fully human and fully God. And when he died on the cross and rose from the dead, he issued a statement to Satan saying, I crush the power you have to accuse any human being ever again. I am issuing a a statement to you that you did not destroy me when I walked on earth and you will not destroy them that follow me either. So Satan, you are defeated, so shut up. Come on. That's good. 
That's a confident statement. That's the confidence that Jesus walked into as he was heading toward the cross. And hundreds and hundreds of years later, the writer Luke picks up the story of Jesus setting his face toward Jerusalem. And Luke shows us the warrior king who is a determined commander. Listen to Luke's words. Now it came to pass, when the time had come for them to be received up, that he steadfastly set his face to go to Jerusalem and sent messengers before his face. And as they went, they entered a village of the Samaritans to prepare for him. Luke 9, 51 is a turning point in Jesus' ministry. And throughout the years that Jesus walked the earth, healing the sick, casting out demons, preaching, forgiving sins, preaching, he was all about his mission. But this point in Luke 9, verses 51 to 52, and those sections following, there is a new determination, a new intensity that Jesus is walking into his mission. A new determination was, was rising within him as he looked and set his face toward Jerusalem. Van and I were talking earlier today and earlier this week. I think he did a trip to, to Israel, but it, nevertheless, he shared this insight, which is very powerful, I want to share with you. Is that this point where Jesus is doing his ministry is in the northern part of the nation, a place called Galilee and Palestine. It's the upper north part. And throughout history, when generals were going to invade Jerusalem, they would come to this point and look out across the plains or into the valleys. And the foreign generals would call their army together, tell them to get some rest. But they would also erect statues to their foreign gods in this area. People were getting really ready to go to war against Jerusalem. So the generals would just bring their troops together and as they would look out with determination over Jerusalem, then they would march on Jerusalem. In that very spot, at that point in time, Jesus who sets his face toward Jerusalem is preparing his armies to march on Jerusalem. He is preparing with determination, with this focus that is just so tight that I am going to accomplish the mission that God has given me. And I'm going to go die on the cross and after three days be resurrected and then ascend into heaven. Jesus said, I'm not going to be deterred from that mission. He sends messengers ahead into Samaria. Again, Jesus is in the north. Jerusalem is in the south. And part of the area they had to go into was Samaria. And if you read in throughout the, the New Testament Specifically in John chapter 4, Jesus and his followers actually went into Samaria at one time. Earlier in his ministry, they went into Samaria. Jesus had a conversation with a woman who was very receptive to him. She invited Jesus over to meet all of her friends, and so an entire village in Samaria was impacted. But the atmosphere is changing. This time, the Samaritans did not welcome him. In fact, they says, get out of here. What's with that? What's happening? Well, the atmosphere is changing. The opposition is increasing. The powers that are energizing racism, this, this false religiosity that's just full of pride and arrogance, 
the government structures that are jealous of the popularity Jesus has, the assault is mounting and the pressure is increasing and the temperature has been turned up. But throughout the opposition, Jesus would not be thwarted. He would not be stopped in his mission to overthrow the works of the devil. And throughout the book of Luke, as well as in the other Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and John, we still see him teaching, casting out demons, healing the sick. He would go into Jerusalem, then he would come back out of Jerusalem, all at the time that the atmosphere is changing. The war is heating up. And then we see Luke telling us about the final week of Jesus' life. And Jesus riding into Jerusalem as a confident king. Let's read about that final trip into Jerusalem, that final week. As he approached Bethphage and Bethany at the hill called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you why you're untying it, tell them the Lord has needs of it. Let me pause right for a moment. In those days, if there was a military leader, an important teacher, a person of royalty, if they needed someone's animal, they could up and go up to a person or send someone as messengers. Again, Jesus commanding his messengers, his followers to go and get the colt, is that a person of royalty could actually command, I need that. So that's what Jesus is doing at this moment, is saying, I need those colts. I need those donkeys. So those who were sent ahead went and found out just as he had told them. As they were untying the colt, its owners asked them, why are you untying the colt? They replied, the Lord needs it. They brought it to Jesus, threw their cloaks on the colt, and put Jesus on it. As he went along, people spread their cloaks on the road. When he came near the place where the road goes down the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. Jesus says, I tell you, if they keep quiet... The stones will cry out. Now, in order to grasp the full importance of this story, I want to bring in sections of the story from Matthew, Mark, and John. For all gospel writers, all four of them share this story in their writings. So I'm going to bring in pieces from their story and add a few points that I'm adding along the way. So I'd ask for you to help me out. I want you to pretend we into pretending today? Would you pretend with me that you're a man or woman that lives in Jerusalem the day Jesus comes riding into town? Would you do that? If you need to stretch a little bit, close your eyes. Only no snoring, please. I mean, you can close your eyes and just picture yourself how you're going to be dressed. That's a nice robe you're wearing over here. That looks really nice. So just picture with me for a moment. You're standing on the street talking with your friends. The streets are dusty and crowded. The palm trees are swaying overhead. 
You hear shouting down the street and you turn to look. A man is riding on the colt of a donkey. The colt's mother is beside it until he enters the edge of the city. The donkey is distracted by someone feeding her hay. But the guy keeps riding into town. Man, he looks funny. He's on that small donkey and his knees are about hitting the ground and that donkey's tail's wagging and swaying in the air and looks like someone threw some robes on him, on that donkey. <laughs> Poor little thing's about weighed under. The guy keeps riding. Who is this? Hey, who is this? It's Jesus. It's our teacher and friend, Jesus. Jesus, he's coming into town. And you look up and you see Jesus riding. And then over here, the guy standing beside you jumps up, grabs a palm tree branch, breaks it and throws it in the grass. The person across from you is throwing the jacket down. What is going on? Jesus. Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna. You look in a distance. Who's that person standing there? Oh, that's his Bartimaeus and his buddy. Hey, isn't Bartimaeus the guy that was blind that Jesus healed? Well, he's standing over there cheering for Jesus. Who's that? Lazarus? Hey, that... Lazarus, that's the dude that Jesus raised from the dead. He's standing right right there cheering. What's he saying? Jesus, yeah! (laughs) And all those people over here, the people that were healed of every incurable, imaginable disease, cheering Jesus. Oh, no. Not that, not those guys. They're the ones that have been stirring up the entire population wanting to overthrow the Romans. I can't believe he brought a knife to this thing. There are the religious leaders. Jesus, tell them to be quiet. I'm not going to tell them to be quiet because even creation itself will cry out praise to me. kind of wonder, wow, this is a pretty cool parade. Jesus, nice guy, a lot of great things he did, but wait. This is just more than just a normal parade. Because you begin to remember the stories you had heard as a child of a military leader, a savior, a general who was going to come riding into town on a donkey symbolizing his victorious, conquering ways, leading forth a a procession of celebration because people are at peace. This is a declaration of peace after the war has has been fought, after the victory has been won. Those branches, those clothes are ways of saying we submit, we we honor you. Oh, great king, oh, great general. 
then it hits you. Jesus is announcing he is the victorious king. And you ask around some of his disciples, and they said, oh yeah, Jesus put this party together himself. He put the parade together himself. He made the arrangements because he is making the announcement that he is the conquering king who is smashing the works of the, the devil and the demonic realm. They are soundly defeated. And then you just think in your heart that all the purposes that God has for you, all the love that flows from him to you, is for you. And then you realize that all is made right. Even creation itself aches from the brokenness even in creation, all will be set right. You can open your eyes. So how does this touch us in everyday life? Well, it means that for us, who are followers of the warrior king, we are more than conquerors. We are more than conquerors. That even in the middle of tough circumstances, of things happening that we did not plan, in the middle of the discouraging things that we may walk through, we are more than conquerors. Listen to the words of church leader Paul. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life Neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. See, Jesus won the ultimate battle against the devil and demons. And although defeated, the demonic realm continues to battle against us, to continue to oppose Jesus and to oppose us. And that battle will rage, even though the war is won. The battles will continue until the warrior king again comes to earth to totally eradicate the presence of evil on earth and in the heavenlies. But we continue to fight. Last week I was on vacation. It's out of state with family and it's doing a wedding. In the beginning of the week, I felt great. It was a, a fun vacation, but as the week progressed, I just felt uneasy. There was just an anxiety kind of stirring up within me and just about the message I was going to speak at the wedding. I was confident about it, felt comfortable, but the closer it got, the more anxiety just continued to build. Did the wedding, but just came home feeling a little unsettled. Got into Sunday afternoon, and last weekend I was going to do uh, some training. I've taken a class over in the Oldenburg, Indiana area. I was driving over to Oldenburg, Indiana, and the closer I got, just this anxiety just continued to increase, and I felt depressed. And this whole mindset of, I've, I just cannot perform well enough in anything. I was just going through all of these things that I was not doing well, and then it finally dawned on me. It's like, oh... 
So as I'm going down the hill into Odenburg, it's a beautiful drive, and I'm going, and this, this pressure kept, I said, out loud. In Jesus' name, I tell you, anxiety and depression to be gone. And at that moment, it lifted. It's like, oh, I guess that's what was going on. But it lifted. But there was some more work that had to be done in my life because I took authority over those, that opposition. But there was something going on in my life that was giving that, that opportunity. And so I got into uh, the area, met with some friends. One, I was tired because of the time change, so I got some rest. But I started just kind of walking through all of this this past week and just some of the experiences around speaking. And they were able to nail some things that just some things internally for me about that whole performance thing. They were able to speak truth and love me in such a way that it just brought healing. And what they did was reminded me with their help and with the truth of God and the authority I have to do battle, I am more than a conqueror. And that is true for each of you that is following Jesus today. You are more than a conqueror. And as we enter this week, we celebrate a risen king who is the God of love, who has waged war with love for you and me, so we are more than conquerors. What's that going to do for us today as we celebrate, as we worship? I'm going to ask Wilson to make his way up here. I'm going to ask the worship band to make their way up. We're going to continue just celebrating and worshiping this king through our giving, through our singing. But as you focus today, celebrate this warrior king. He loves you immensely. He loves you intensely. Before we continue our worship, would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, we just celebrate you today. And we thank you that you have waged war against everything that stands against us. Thank you for the freedom you bring. Thank you for the life you give to us. We celebrate you now. Amen.